theyeshiva.net. There's a Peladika Medrash, strange Medrash, Rabbah, in this week's Parsha Vayeshev on the Pasik Vayosef Hurad Mitzrayma. The beginning of Ravi is Vayosef Hurad Mitzrayma. Yosef was lowered down to Mitzrayim and bought by Poitifar, the chief butcher of Paroi, and he becomes his slave in the entire continuation of the story. But the way it opens up is Yosef Hurat from the word Yerida. He descended, but he was taken down. He was lowered down to Mitzrayim. So it says in Medrash Rabbah that Hurad also comes, also, Hurad has another meaning. It says in Tehillim, Yifrach biyam of tzaddik v'roiv shalom ad bli areach v'yerd miyom ad yom. It's a capital Tehillim, Ayin Dalad, referring to Mashiach. He will rule. He will be Moshal. He will be Shailat. He will rule from sea to sea. In fact, you already have it in Parshas Bereshis. Hashem tells Adam and Chava, You will rule over the fish, over the animals, over the birds, over all the insects. You will rule. So the Medrash says, the Yosef Hurad Mitzrayma is from Lashen Kibush, Kifshon, Kibush, the Yerd Miyamadyam. Yosef conquered Mitzrayim, which at first glance is very strange because Yosef was sold as a slave and then thrown into prison. So most of the commentators of the Medrash explain that what the Medrash means is, at this point, he was taka being lowered into Egypt. He lost his autonomy, but ultimately, as a result, he would rise to the top and become, of course, the Mishnah Lamech, the Prime Minister of Egypt. But that only happens in Parshas Miketz. That happens years and years later. Some 13 years later, more than a decade, after he goes through a tremendous amount of suffering, he's a slave by Petifar, and he's accused by his wife of uh, doing horrible, immoral, promiscuous things and violating a person, even though he was innocent, and he's plunged into prison, and he's in prison for 12 years. And only after all of this will he become the Reuda. So why would the Medrash feel the need to take the Hurat and turn it into a red? When at this point, Itaka will happen later as a result of Hurat. But Lechayre, the Taich of Hurat, at this point he's not a king. He's a slave. He's a victim to other circumstances. There's a third, a third interpretation in Medrash. Hurat literally means he was lowered, he descended. The Medrash says Hurat from the, world, from the word rulership. And then the Medrash gives another interpretation. Since in a Sefer there's no Nekudus, so you could pronounce words in different ways. So it's, we say V'yosef Hurat. But you can also read V'yosef Hoirid. Yosef lowered. He lowered somebody, Mitzrayimah. So the Medrash says, Hoirid es ha-shechina imoy. He took the shechina with him into Mitzrayim. Which Bechlal, there's a klal that when there's different interpretations on one pasuk or one word, they're connected. Like we see by Shatnas, Shoya, Toivi, Venois. Different commentaries are not just remote from each other. They're all connected. So one, it means Yosef descended, he was lowered, he was, he was uh, demoted, he was degraded. He went through a yirida, a tremendous descent, obviously, physically and emotionally, and on all levels, spiritually also. I mean, what he had to go through the Himitzrayim was not simple. And then you have the second one, that he was ruling Egypt, and the third one, that he actually lowered somebody else with him, the Shechina with him. In the works of the Balatanya, in the teachings of the Balatanya and his disciples, his successors, there's a very moving explanation to this Medrash that I want to share with you. I'll preface it by a story that will give it a little more spice or flavor about a Yid whose name was Rib Shmuel Munkus. Rib Shmuel Munkus was one of the Chassidim, the Talmidim of the Balatanya. He was known as one of his prominent disciples. He was a man of a lot of depth, and he also had a tremendous sense of humor. He was a very humorous person. There's quite a few stories about him uh, that Chassidim would tell, 
and in the traditions of uh, of, of, of Chassidus, and he was a, he was a character, as they say, quite a character. To the point that once they found him hanging on the porch, on the courtyard of the Balatanya, the chutz of the Balatanya, he, he hung himself on the window. Apparently, he was quite athletic, and he liked to make shtick, and he, he was hanging. So they said, "What's what's this new shtick?" So he said, when you pass by a shoe store, there's always a shoe hanging. Because the shoemaker has to show off. You pass a jewelry store, yeah? There's beautiful bracelets or necklaces or earrings or other jewelry hanging in the window to attract you, to entice you. Everybody shows off. You pass a fruit store to the display of the best fruits to show you what I have to sell. So he says, you go by a rabbi, a chassid has to hang to be able to show the world what are the products. But that was a Shmuel Munkus. That was his life. How did he come to the Balatanya? Remember, all the chassidim, it was no messiah, father, father. If you, if you stuck to your father, you couldn't come. <laughs> this was all new. This was all new. There was, once a, there was once a yid who came close to chassidus and he wrote to the Lubavitcher Rebbe that he feels that he's a tzugekumana. He's not, uh, he's not the real thing, you know, because it's not in the blood. He just came on his own. So he wrote back to him, the I knew him. He was a yid in South Africa, a rov, a chashav, a rov. So he wrote back to him. He wrote, All the first chsidim, the first generation, were gevarina. They weren't born into it. They were, they were, they, they, were they transformed themselves. Or didn't transform themselves, but they found something and they acquired it, they discovered it. That's what he wrote. Rabbi Shmuel Munkis heard about the Balatanya and he decided to go check him out to visit him. Now the definition of a chassid and a rebbe by definition is something of choice. You can't force somebody to become your chassid. If you force him to become your chassid, is a nishki chassid and you're not his rebbe. There's a different term for it which you could figure out. But if you force somebody to be a chassid, it's not a chassid. The definition of a chassid is choice. In other words, it's not a relationship that's required. You're not doing it because it says in the textbook that kan sarich lifkas. Yeah, they used to make fun that there was a machzir who would say, kan sarich lifkas. Here you have to cry. Yen tears, you know. Kan sarich litzchik. Now you have to laugh. Kan sarich lirkaid, yeah. As they say, it's going to be organized, spontaneous dancing. Here you have to laugh, here you have to cry. Okay, here get emotional, now become a chassid. Today, people don't understand what that means, because you were born this way, you don't even think, you don't even know. But real chassidim understand, it's always by choice, because it's about passion, it's about creativity, it's about giving, it's dedicating your soul to somebody. Avram couldn't force Eliezer to become his servant, loyal servant. Elio couldn't force Elisha, couldn't force Elisha to become his Talmud. It's a different type of relationship. This is a relationship of nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayi, yechida. You dedicate yourself completely. The only way you could dedicate yourself completely is if you choose it. If somebody else chose it for you, then you're not dedicating yourself to anything. You're just a robot, and you're probably not dedicated. You just don't have a choice. Or maybe you just go with the flow. But a real passionate dedication must come from within. If it has to come from within, it's not something... It's, 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 about, it's, it's about what you see, what you feel, what you experience. And in, 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 in by, and by the Balatan, but this, this is true by everybody, but Balatan's chassidim was very emphasized this. They had a tremendous chibah to him. He writes in the introduction of Tanya, Hadibur shel It was always a conversation of love. That's how he describes their conversations. Dibur shel chibah They revealed to me all their secrets in their heart and in their mind in terms of their life and their Judaism and their service of Hashem. But his expression is, Hadibur shal chiba matzibineinu. It was always a conversation of chiba, of love. I always tell people who learn Tanya that if you don't see in every chapter a conversation of love, you probably did not understand the chapter because the Balatanya himself says in the Hakdama that he's recording a dibur shal chiba conversation of love. So if you don't hear the chiba in Perek Aleph, Beis, Gimel, down all the way through Nun Gimel, you're obviously not... Uh, tuning into what he's saying. You're projecting your own biases and blind spots and, and toxicity. I don't want to say addictions. Into the chapter. 
but that too. Reb Shmuel Munkus arrived to Lyazhna. Lyazhna is, is a city, it's a town in Belarus. That's where the Balatanya was born, and that's where he lived most of his life until he moved after his second arrest to Liadi in 1801. And then in 1812, he escaped Napoleon to the Ukraine, and he passed away there on Chavdala Tevis, Tafkufay, in Gimel 1812, where he's buried in Hadich in the Ukraine. He lived in Lyazhna. Reb Shmuel Munkus was a Yid, a Jew, and he arrived in Lyazhna, a very deep soul, a Mavakish, a searcher. He looked for a, a house that was lit. He arrived around 2 or 3 in the morning. And when he arrived in Lyazhna, he found one home that still had a candle or a lantern burning. So he assumed this is a house that you could uh, ask them to open the door even in the middle of the night because somebody's up. They would have extinguished the flame. Uh, flames were very exp- uh, a candle was expensive. It wasn't like today, a candle, big deal. A candle was, uh, was precious. So he knocks on the door, and indeed, the Balatanya, the Altarebbe himself, nobody was up, he was, uh, he was up himself, he was learning, two or three in the morning, and he came and he opened the door. And uh, he greeted him, he welcomed him, Shalom Aleichem, and he asked him, the Balatanya said, how can I help you? What can I do for you? So he said, I'm looking for a place to stay. So he says, Was comes to Mitnacht? Why do you come middle of the night? Nacht. I didn't know that by a Rebbe there is night. There is darkness and night. He said, I think you should find another home. So he says, Das is not this is not a Jewish home. He said, It's not your home. So he said, I want to be in this house. The Balatanya said, I don't think this house is for you. He said, I want to stay. So the Balatanya says, If you leave on your own, is good. If you don't go on your own, I'm going to call the guy, the Gentile, so to speak. They had the Shabbos guy in the houses, you know. And he will expel you. He will uh, send you out from the house. So Shmuel Munkus started to cry. And he said, Rebbe, mein guy is a sach starker wie guy. My guy is a lot more powerful and ferocious than your guy. So the Balatanya opened the door, and that was the beginning of his iskarvus, of his relationship. And as I mentioned, he became one of his greatest Talmidim. But Hashkafer is showing at first glance, it's a strange story. Forget about the Balatanya, a regular Jew, a Yid comes in the middle of the night. You do open the door, you let him sleep there. It's basic Achnosos Archem. That's one of the gifts of the Jewish people. Yid comes in the middle of the night, you open the door, you let him stay. You figure out how long, okay, but uh, what's this whole shakla v'tayya? And he says there's no night because by a Rebbe there's no night. So when the al Rebbe hears that, he says this is not for you. And then he threatens him to chase him away with a guy. I mean, who speaks? Why, why would he say that? Well, he was threatening him. He asked him to stay. And then he says, my guy is stronger than your guy. Okay, that's it. <laughs> if your guy is stronger, then I can't chase you out, so now you can come into the house. The Havana of the story is that this was not an exchange about staying in the house physically. He could have given him a room to stay in the house. I don't know if he had a room. Al-Turebbe was very, very poor most of his life. Mamish had nothing because he had a very rich father-in-law, but his father-in-law wanted his daughter to divorce him, and she refused, so that was it. So he didn't get a, uh, a pruta, even a pruta from him, and he struggled very heavily financially. Mamish didn't have, but... Uh, but this exchange was not about the physical lodging of Rav Munkus. It had to do with the spiritual lodging of Rav Munkus. The question was, if this is your place, if this is your place, it has to be something that really belongs to you, that you take ownership of. When Rav Munkus said, I want to stay here, he didn't mean physically. He went, I want, your, I want to become yours. I want to become your student. So he said... 
why do you come now in the middle of the night? So he said, I didn't think that by you there's night, there's darkness. If that's the case, the Balatanya said, then this is probably not your house. This is probably not your house. And Abshwam Munkus insisted that this is his house. Why? What's the, what's the issue here? The issue has to do with a very profound question. And that is, how do you deal with darkness? How do you deal with the darkness inside of you? Very often, a person's inspiration in Yiddishkeit comes from ignoring or denying their darkness. Meaning, we all have moments, let's call them moments of his oirus, his alus, elation in English. Elation. This one by a davening, this one by a shir, this one by a blad gemara, this one by a tish, this one in their home, this one at, at an event, in their personal lives. People go to different places, to different personalities where they feel they get lifted up. People go there to their teachers, to their mashpiyim, to their oshishivas, to their rebbes. And together with their chaveirim and their kehillas, they sing and they dance and they hear a vart. Every person finds their niche where they find their inspiration. Yeah, people go to Eretz Yisrael, people go to Kibrit Tzadikim, people go to certain personalities. People go, Yachikal uh, is here, Yom here, events here, events there. They say, it warms my heart, it gives me chizuk, gives me Isairus, this person. Even on the internet, they may listen to somebody, watch something, listen to something, walk with somebody, and it gives you a certain elation. And that, that elation, that experience of enthusiasm and inspiration is what keeps them going and uh, it makes them tick and it makes them feel good the question is what happens with their chayshach what happens with the darkness a person, a regular person also has darkness inside of them it's not comfortable to talk about it but every person, not every person but many people have chayshach be'eretz tzamalacha nafshi kamalacha basari be'eretz tziyev there's an Eretz of Choshech with Salmavis, Kam Kielich Begate Salmavis. What type of darkness? Some people deal with moral darkness. Moral darkness means they have tremendous, tremendous Nisyonis, tremendous Taivis and Nisyonis every day and sometimes every hour of the day. There are people sitting here now in this room. Tremendous Nisyonis. They go on the bus, they go on the train, they go into their car, they come into work, they go, for them to go through a day pure and clean is very difficult. It's moral, moral darkness they deal with. Again, I don't want to use the word addictions, but it seems appropriate. But if you want to call it inclinations, habits, proclivities, does that work? Proclivities dispositions, cravings, yearnings, pinings. People have tremendous nisyonis, tremendous. Then there's people who suffer terribly in their marriages. There's people who suffer terribly with their children. People who suffer terribly financially. Then there's mental illness, and then there's psychological darkness. And all other forms of challenges that people have that all boil down to inner internal struggles and strife and fragmentation that it's part of the parcel of the human psyche. Never mind if the darkness is so innate because of experiences in one's youth. In other words, sometimes the darkness is present. What if the darkness was introduced in somebody's psyche at the age of three or six or nine? So it's maybe subconscious, like a wet sponge. It was absorbed into their psyche, and it's very hard to liberate themselves from it. Yeah? people here who have been traumatized and abused at a very young age, not for months, that also is a killer. What about for years? And they can't just say, it never happened. It accompanies them, it's part of them. It's part of their life. It's part of their condition, it's part of their identity. They could make believe it's not there. Very often, when we look for inspiration, when we find something inspiring, you may get up and dance, you may sing a niggin, you may hear a geshmak of art, 
It's beautiful and it's wonderful. So it transports me for five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, maybe five seconds to a different world, to a different universe. But then I got to come back home. (laughs) Then I got to go back to myself. As we say in English, you wake up and the hangover, there's a hangover and then you sober up. Yeah. They say Lahavdal that once Churchill in the English Parliament was having an argument with somebody. And one of the people, a woman in the English Parliament, I'm coming from England, so one of the women in the English Parliament said, Mr. Churchill, you're a drunk. Which was, there was a kernel of truth to it, or maybe even two or three kernels of truth to it. He liked to drink, and it wasn't only you uh, put him in some chastera. Uh, you're a drunk. So Churchill looked at her and he said, you're actually correct. You're stupid. I'm a drunk. The difference is, tomorrow morning, I sober up. But tomorrow morning, you're still stupid. (laughs) Nothing helps, right? So you can get drunk on words. You can get drunk on an atmosphere. But tomorrow morning, you got to wake up. You got to go back home. You got to sober up. It says in Hilchis Yema Kippurim, the Rambam says, Mitzayim Kippur, when the Kohen Gadol finished Avoid in the Holy of Holies, so the Rambam finishes from Maseches Yuma, he takes off the holy garments, he puts on his own clothes, and he goes home. So the Mepharshim asks, what's the halacha here? The Rambam is a safer of halacha. There's a halacha you have to do this, you have to do this. No halacha to go home. Where should he go, Mitzayim Kippur? To the bowling alley? Where should he go? Go, go to a pizza shop? What do you want the Kohen to do, Mitzayim Kippur? He finishes the Vayda. Where should he go, Mitzayim Kippur? Shalom Zacher? Where should he go? To a mitzvah? He should come here to shul to, to eat the soup in the middle of the night? What do you want? To go to a Kohen Chatzos? Where should the Kohen Gadol go, Mitzayim Kippur? Of course he goes home. No. It's a I once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe that that's a halacha. It's a halacha. And it's not an easy halacha. You come out of Kodesh HaKadosh, the highest of the high, and now there's halacha. You have to take off the holy clothes, put on your regular clothes, and you've got to go home. Now when you come home, your wife is going to ask you to take out the garbage. You say, Excuse me? <laughs> you know what I did today? <laughs> Achas l'mayla v'sheva l'mata Soyel Hashem, Soyel Azazel Five times in the mikveh I was mechapa avoynes Shema mefoy I mean, who are you talking to? So she says, listen Achas l'mayla v'sheva l'mata Okay, that's a zayushain It's all nice Take out the garbage Not easy Not easy Hoylech l'beysa What's the simon that you were in the Holy of Holies if you can go home? A lot of people, they know how to be saintly and holy in the Beis Medrash, the yeshiva, in the environment where they get that spiritual high. But when you come home and you deal with a whole different reality, it's sometimes all forgotten. When you sober up, you come back to life and you have to deal with yourself, your real self. What do you do then? And this is where the real challenge sets in. Some people amputate a part of themselves in order to avoid cognitive dissonance. Did you understand what I just said? Okay, because I didn't. (laughs) But I'll repeat it because it sounded good. Some people amputate a part of themselves in order to avoid cognitive dissonance. Meaning, they cut themselves off from themselves because the Yisurim, of the contrast, the pain of the contrast is too profound. Some people deny a part of themselves. That's a form of amputation. They repress a part of themselves or they suppress a part of themselves, meaning consciously or unconsciously. But there's no choice because if not, the contrast is so powerful. So when Rabbi Shmuel Munch is told the Balatanya, when ich hab gemeint, as by is nishtake nacht, and I thought that by you there's no darkness, the Rebbe said, this is not your place. And the reason it's not your place is, you'll make this your home, but in six months, you will find that it's not real. And the reason it's not real is, 
because you lost yourself in ecstasy. You were transported, you were transformed, you were elevated. So Shmuel Munke said, Rebbe, mein goy is a sach Don't think that I am coming here not recognizing and not knowing everything that's inside of me. I'm not asking you to become an opium. What do they say? Religion. Karl Marx said religion is, op- is opium for the man. I'm not asking you to become my Tylenol or my medications or my crutch or my tool to forget myself. I'm going to use you in order to become intoxicated and to get a high. That's not what I'm here for. I don't need your guy to expel me. I know it. I have dealt with it. I'm open with it. I'm open to it. So he said, if so, then he opened the door for him. In other words, there is a path in which a person transcends. A person transcends. They go to Davin, they close their eyes, and they try to feel something. Maybe it's real, maybe it's not real. But even if we can assume that it's real, a lot of people tell me it's not real when they do it. It's just, they try to make it real, but it's not. But even if we could give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and say it's real, you're going to have to open your eyes at some point. And when you open your eyes, what are you left with? Anybody who becomes familiar with Teres HaBal Shem particularly the teachings of the Balatanya, the Balagul of Yutas Kislev sees that in his world there's never ever a state of reality where one is denying any part of themselves. On the contrary, every single nekuda in life, every single experience in life is essential and integral to the journey of the soul. Because what happens so often in Avodah Hashem is two extremes. People become either extremely superficial or they become extremely cynical. And that's what you see everywhere today. Superficial, naive, or cynical and jaded. You know what jaded is, yeah? Um, Jaded. Jaded, I've been there already. Like when you came to this year. Resign, not just resign. You're not resigned in business. You still want to make your millions. But you're resigned to ideal. You don't believe in idealism. You have seen so much politics and corruption. So here's another faker. Here's another faker. Another sachkan, another player. Yeah, you're apathetic and different. You're just dull. You're, you're not excited anymore. You know children, their innocence, their exuberance. You know, you've been around the block nine times, 11 times. The Empire State Building, the Brooklyn Bridge, and the Tappan Zee, and the GW. Now what now? What are you going to sell me now? You're going to sell me more Torah? You're going to sell me another Sfasemes? What are you going to sell me? Machavertel? Fine, good. It's like a certain... It's like the smile of 40, 50-year-old people. <laughs> they sit, and it's like a smirk almost. Like, <laughs> you know <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here is 40, 50, you know that smirk. It's just like an internal smirk of, what are you going to sell me? What are you, I've seen everything. I've heard everything. Everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's just looking for the same thing. Enough, and I look for my thing. Or you have another extreme opposite you become a little naive you amputate some stuff you go a little bit into denial you become a little superficial you don't see a lot of things you have deaf you have blind and you know and you try to get inspired in the literature even in the secular world you will find two types of literature you'll find a literature of idealism which believes in romance and altruism and selflessness and love but the modern literature is full of cynicism because all the empires have already crumbled. This is post-modernity. So the modern literature is it's cynical. It's just cynical. We don't believe in anything. It's like, we, what altruism? 
Everybody's just trying to protect themselves and function in a world and try to do the best for themselves. Yeah, and, and sometimes we, those people look at idealistic people as just simply not as smart, not as clever, not as sly, not as shrewd. They nebuch, yeah, you know. Nebuch. They say that a woman once came to a rabbi and she said, you know, you have to talk to my son. She says, what's the problem? He went crazy. She says, what happened? She says, he grew up in a regular Jewish secular home. He started to put on tzitzis, tefillin, ayamulke, Shabbos, wants to now go to yeshiva. He's like, tight meshiga. So maybe you can help my son get back to normalcy. The rabbi says, I find it strange that you came to me. I wear yarmulke, I wear tzitzis, I put on tefillin, I learn, I daven. What do you want? <laughs> he says, no, rabbi, you get paid for it. <laughs> my son, Nebach, he means it. It's authentic. It's, it's authentic. Yeah. One of the most powerful components in all of the writings of the Balatanya is there's day and night evening and morning together create the achdos the oneness of life which means the Tanya and all the Rambal Tanya are the most idealistic Svarim you'll find anywhere the standards and the idealism in the Ksavim of the Balatanya are the deepest form and manifestation of idealism you could find. It's a type of idealism that if there wouldn't be the other side to it, it's beyond. That's Yoim, Boiker, and then there's the Erev. The Erev is completely intuned and attuned to the entire gamut of emotions and experiences and encounters that exist in the human condition. In fact, the Alter Rebbe made his hero in Tanya the Benini. Who's the Benini? The Tzaddik is the Superman. He's that idealistic saint who has reached that perfection. The Russia is the weak man who surrenders to cynicism and is jaded and becomes weak and surrenders to it, which is normal. Who is the Benini? The Benini is the person who remains completely... grounded in his reality which may forever harbor voices, emotions, experiences that are filled with all types of darkness or trauma or fears or insecurity in one form or another, every person according to their life, their history and their experience. And what he tried to do is show how every single person can become an Oved Hashem Be'emes. What do I mean an Oved Hashem Be'emes? Serve Hashem with full truth, with full sincerity, with full authenticity, without the need to cut out, to deny, to repress, to suppress, to detach yourself from any part of yourself which will ultimately come back to haunt you because it's part of your condition. Without the need to amputate my spiritual arms or legs or hearts without the need to become naive and in denial and without the need to become cynical and jaded. But the ability to create a ladder that is etched in the ground and yet its peak touches heaven and you don't compromise on either. The ladder connects the earth to heaven and when you're up in the top of the ladder you could see earth and when you're down in the abyss of earth, you could see heaven. When the Shmuel Munkah said, Mein Goy is Asach Shtarkevi Ayagoy, then he can open the door. The Yosef Hurad Mitzrayma. Yosef comes down into Egypt. So the Medrash says he comes to rule Egypt. The Medrash is not trying to say a because he's going to become a ruler. The Medrash is saying something much deeper. There's two ways how you could look out your own descents in life. Think about, I'm going to ask everybody to think for a moment. You could close your eyes or keep your eyes open as you wish. But think for a moment about the Mitzrayim, just like Yosef, that you have to descend into or that you have been taken into. Whatever that may be. It may be a personal challenge. It may be a familial challenge. 
It may be something that is extremely painful and something very, very hurtful. Yosef was torn away from his father and sold as a slave. He lost his freedom. He was being sentenced and sent into a completely new life, deprived of autonomy, deprived of independence, deprived of liberty, emancipation. Think of your life. Is there something in your life that you would love to be able to recreate? (laughs) That tomorrow morning you should be able to wake up in the morning and say, this doesn't exist. Maybe it's something in your brain. Maybe it's something in your psyche. Maybe it's something in your past experiences. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something in your marriage. Maybe something in your business. Maybe something in just your own relationship with yourself or with other people or with Hashem. Whatever it is, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, religiously, financially. Mitzrayim comes from the word Meitzar. Meitzar means restrictions, confinements. I'm locked up, I'm confined in a particular place. That's what Yosef Hurad Mitzrayim means. Comes the Medrash. And as the Balatanya says in Tanya, that Rav Saidus HaTayr Gnuzin Ben Yaakov. Most of the Saidus of Tayr are hidden in the Agodis, in, in Yaakov, in the Midrashim. And says, what does Hurad mean? Hurad means Yosef ruled Mitzrayim. What do you mean he ruled Mitzrayim? He didn't rule Mitzrayim. He was a victim to Mitzrayim. Depends how you look at it. One way of looking at challenges is I'm thrown into darkness like a ping pong ball. Another way of looking at it is I wasn't thrown into it. I was sent there in order to be able to conquer that situation too. But not to conquer the situation by being above it. You have to conquer the situation so you have to go into it. And you have to feel it and feel its texture with its entire complexity and darkness. And while you're feeling its texture, you have to be able to know that externally you're feeling the texture, the texture of confinement and darkness. Internally, what you're experiencing is the ability to conquer this situation. The ability to bring light, to find the divine in this situation. So the hurad. And the Vyerd is really one thing. It's not two separate things. The Vahi Erev is what allows there to be a Yom Echad that synthesizes Erev and Boiker, night and day. How can that happen? So the Medrash has to bring a third interpretation. The Yosef Hoyrid Mitzrayim. That Yosef brought down the Shekhinah with him. Since Yosef understood he's not just an individual person, he's a ray of divinity. He's a ray of infinity. He's an ambassador of the divine. So who went down into the darkness? Hashem went down into the darkness. Because he's a chelik elikami mal mamish. Not just a chelik elikami mal, chelik elikami mal mamish. Chelik elikami mal says already in the Rishonim, and in many of the Achreinim, that a nesham is a chelik elikami mal. But Tanya added one word in Tanya. Chelik elikami mal mamish. What's the mamish? Mamish means, on one level, it means mamish. <laughs> like mamish. You're going to give me back the money tomorrow? Mamish? No, not mamish. It'll take a year. Mamish means mamish, literal. Kipshutoi, unkunsen. But the word mamish actually comes from the word mamashes. Because it's untapping, it's substantial. Mamish is the pshat that you can touch it. It's real, it's authentic, it's not a bizarre, a nice guzma. The person is really divine. It's mamish. Even when you touch a person, you're touching a chelikalakamimal. Next time you spank your child, remember you're not spanking a child. You're spanking the ribbonishalaylam. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. That's that's what that's why he's Mamish. Why not? Avertel. It's called Avertel. Avertel. Pass the herring. You heard the Avertel and you pass the herring. And the herring and the Avertel are and you don't know what's more important than the other. Usually we do know. Mamish means, I'm not speaking Titus. I'm talking real, authentic. Mamish means it's Mamish. It's Pnimi, Pnimi. It's, it's, it's real. You can go to the bank with it. We can gain some bank. There's a Yid in England. I met him yesterday. I met him today. 
Waltman last night. So uh, he he has he, he shared with me. He has a temper. He has a terrible temper. I don't know if he still has. He had a horrible temper. When you have a horrible temper, usually the carbon is your child, your children, because they're very good targets for temper, and they're not going to tell you what uh, what you really are. Uh, if you show your temper in shul, uh, you know you're not going to get shishi or shlishi on Shabbos. If you show your temper in the office, you won't uh, be able to be successful. You'll be demoted or uh, they'll send you out. Uh, if you show your temper in the Shriga's house, other things can happen. But when you show your temper to the children, so till they're adults, they often remain silent. So this fellow had a bad temper. He told me the story. And he would smack up his children, he would lose it, and then he would regret it, like a lot of fathers. They lose it, they smack up their kids, they scream, they curse, they holler, they insult, they punish, they lock up. And then 20 minutes later, they have dinner. <laughs> uh, the men eat, and they, their moods, they, they have a drink, or they have dinner, and they relax. Or they watch a nice clip from Rabbi Waiwai, or whatever they do to relax them, or they take something. And... Uh, and they regret it, and this happens every day. It's in, in, there's an expression in Shevet Musa, every day they have charata. And he had a terrible temper, and he used to smack his kids. He told me that he went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Yechidus, and he told the Rebbe. He said, I have a temper. I come home and I spank my kids very hard, and it's not uh, idealistic. I lose it. I say that it's idealistic. Chinuch, chinuch, you have to be mechanach them, but it has nothing to do with chinuch. Vaharaya, 20 minutes later, I regret it. What happened with Chinuch? I lost it. It has nothing to do with Chinuch. I push it, lose it. So he told me the Rebbe asked him if other kids also come to play in the house. Neighbors, cousins, friends. He says, yeah, constantly. So the Rebbe says, do Do you uh, beat up the other children too? He says, not, never. He says, Favosnish. Favosnish. If you lose it, why don't you lose it on the other kids as well? So he tells the Rebbe, it's not my kids. If I smack them up, the father's going to come running and the mother's going to come running. It's not my kids. My kids. It's my kids. You know? So the Rebbe says, and your children are owned by you. They're your slaves. They're exclusively yours. The Rebbe's kinder. Hashem's kids that he deposited. He gave you the diamond as a pikodin to be able to polish it. They don't belong to you. And this Yid, his name is Reb Shmuel, he told me that the Rebbe told him the next Tamal, with the Falistach, or the Hapst of the Hand, to slug in them kind, the Hand at Tresultan. Now the gays slug in the Mabishtans are kind. The next time you lift up your hand and you're about to smack up your child, your hand should give a tremble, should give a shake, that you're about to beat Hashem's child. Now this, I just want to make her ari here. This does not have to do with the question if it's ever appropriate for a child, for a father or mother to smack a child. I'm not having that conversation right now. But the point is that sometimes 80, 90, 95% of the time it has nothing to do with pedagogy or education. It often has to do with insecurity, impulsiveness, anger, or profound internal anxiety that I don't know how to deal with, and I'm just losing it at my child. In other words, it's not about love or benefit for the child. mamish means when you're touching the child, it's mamish. It's mamish. When you touch yourself, when you touch yourself, you have to know you're touching a mamish. I, when you were six years old, you were nine years old, there was a monster who came into your life. And not only he didn't treat you as a chelik alakami ma'amamish, he didn't treat you as a human being. He didn't even treat you like a puppy. People treat their puppies better than they treated you in one way or another. So that's, sadly, the choice of that particular monster who did that and that, this and this behavior. Vahamei but the truth, it doesn't take away the chilek, When Yosef understood who he is, 
that he is the divine. When God goes into a place, God is never a victim, but he goes in fully. Napshan Hashem says, this place is too dark, I don't go there. I go there. But because it's Hashem, you go there and as you enter it fully, without denial, you feel the texture. You're not there as a victim. You're there as a conqueror. That was Yosef's power. The Hurad, the Yeridah itself, the Medrash is not saying one day he became a king. That's next parsha. We're talking Vayesha. In the Yeridah itself, in the descent itself, he felt the full texture. That's why he cried. He wouldn't have cried if he saw him, he saw him as prime minister of the country. He didn't see himself at this point as prime minister. He saw himself in a very complicated and difficult situation. Literally, we can understand what that means, and we can't understand, but a person, what happened to Yosef through his own brothers? <laughs> and nonetheless, the way he experienced the texture of darkness was, it's here, and it hurts, and I may be sobbing, and I may be broken, and I may be affected very deeply, but I will not despair. I will remain a happy person, because essentially what's happening is, I was sent into this place to reveal light here. To reveal how God owns this place too. How That was the Koyach of Yosef. And therefore he never had to deny the reality. And that's why he could forgive his brothers. Not because he was in denial. Not because he was naive. Not because he didn't feel what they did. He felt everything. If he wouldn't have felt what they did... He would have been a bitter, stoned heart. Heart made out of stone. Because you can't feel pain and then easily forgive. If you shut off the faucet of emotion, you don't feel pain. But you also can't feel joy. You know in the house, in the boiler room, there's a button, there's a switch. You switch it off, the water goes off. All water. So when there's a flood, what do you do? You go and you switch off the switch. You turn off the switch. But there's no clean water and there's no dirty water. When people choose to switch off the switch of emotion, everything goes off. They don't cry. They don't laugh. They don't feel pain, but they don't feel joy. They're not heartbroken, but they have no heart. They shut it off. Yosef could have done that. That means you go into places, but you're not there. And that's what children often do to deal with suffering. In order to deal with our suffering, we shut down our emotions so that we don't have to feel it because it's too painful. And when you get older, don't be upset at yourself. Say thank you to your inner child for helping you survive because that may have been the only mechanism for survival. You had to shut off in the boiler room the switch of emotion so you can't feel because if you would have felt, you would have died. So you had to shut off the switch in order to survive. Now you're older. Now you have a choice. Don't be upset. So another gewaldic avoid from the Alter Rebbe and so many maimorim. Ah! The concept of midas harachamim. Midas harachamim, it says in Tanya, in many places, is empathy, compassion. What's the quality to be able to look at reality and not become judgmental? You see... Very often we become judgmental because not to be judgmental, usually it seems like the only alternative is to be blind. <laughs> if you're blind, you're not judgmental. You know when people start speaking about Malamet's Chus, right? I heard the other day of Vart, somebody said of Vart. Uh, he said, it's, it's probably already online also because it was introducing me at a lecture somewhere. He said of Vart, you know why the Ebishter had gemacht a Kruma cup? Why did Hashem create a kruma cup? You know what a kruma cup is? Huh? Somebody must have told you in yeshiva somebody's a kruma cup, no? Kruma cup means a crooked head. It means basically the ability that some people have really excelled in this ability to take something and, and cripple it intellectually. Just They know how to make things crooked. So this person said the reason Hashem created it is you should be able to be melamed schus on everybody. <laughs> you should be able to find the benefit of it. Sometimes you have to have a kruma cup. But uh, if you learn this, it's much geschmacker than that. It's not a kruma cup. It's midas harachemah. 
You see, often we say, either you're, if you're realistic, you're judgmental. The guy's a low life. The guy is holy when you're half deaf and you have blind. I once met a couple in Palm Beach. I said, they they're celebrating their 60th anniversary. So I asked her, how did you survive for 60 years? She says, I was, I asked him, how did you survive 60 years? So he said, I was half blind and half deaf. She heard what he said. I said, I'm you. She said, I was completely blind and completely deaf. So when you're half blind and you have deaf, so then you look at everybody positively. When you're open, when you see the truth, you become judgmental. But then there's rachamim. What's rachamim? Rachamim is compassion. You have compassion for yourself. You have empathy for yourself. Then you could see everything as is, and you don't have to judge it. So you have to be able to have compassion for the child who switched over the emotions because he wanted to live. But now as you get older, you have a choice. And the choice is, can you go into Mitzrayim, feel the texture of Mitzrayim, feel the texture of darkness, and it's not easy. It will elicit profound tears. It will elicit a profound emotional experience. And I'm telling you, many people will not go there ever because it's a scary place to go. They don't want to go to Mitzrayim. Yosef went. He went into the place. He went in. And by going in, he let it touch him. And when he let it touch him, he responded that way emotionally. But in that space, as he went deeper, deeper, he saw the darkness ultimately as the place, the arena, in which he will find a light within the darkness. The Yosef Hurid, so the Hurad became Redu, so the three converge into one. And in every person's life, that translates into the strength and an inspiration and empowerment to be able to do that. You never have to be afraid of anything going on inside of yourself or going on outside of yourself. The only thing we have to fear is fear. Because the chelik elikami mal mamish can contain everything. It's ain't soif. Sorry. It could contain everything. I was just, I can go like this. <laughs> it can contain everything. Everything can be contained inside of it. So you don't have to be afraid of it. Don't surrender to it as a victim. But don't be afraid to touch it, to feel it. Because in order to transform it, you have to be in it. You can't transform something if you're afraid of it. If you're afraid of it, you can't transform it. Because what you're saying is, you're too scary for me. The Herst? What I'm saying is, you're too scary. Oh, I'm too scary for you. How are you going to transform it? When all you're saying is, you're so dark, I'm frightened of you. You'll never be able to transform it. Because your MO is, this is scary stuff. But when you realize, that God is everywhere, so then you're not scared. So then you can go into it, so you could feel what it is, and then you can actually transform it. But what does it mean to transform it? Transform it means you have to take it and transform it. That means you have to feel it and transform it. So you can't be scared of it. Don't be scared of anything inside of you or anything outside of you. So much of our life is a response to fear. We avoid. We avoid people. We avoid conversations. And the biggest is we avoid emotions. We avoid confrontation with the self. By mir is nishtaken nacht. We avoid confrontation with the self. And we'll run nine times around the world to find places that will help us avoid confronting ourselves this is the story that we deal with so often we will avoid it at every cost why because we're frightened from it i could never transform it i become forever the person who can only live if that becomes completely distant from me the chiddish the paradigm that Yosef HaTzadik in Parshas Vayeshev embodied was the paradigm of fearlessness because God contains everything and is in everything. So you, as his ambassador, 
could be go into there and remember you're going to be inside and it's not it doesn't always look like a smiling face sometimes it looks very dark but as you're there what you will be doing is you will find the meaning there you will ultimately conquer it you will ultimately bring the light into darkness it's hard even to express it in words but this is one of his profound, profound teachings with tremendous ramifications in today's world. If we can only teach people not to be afraid of anything that's going on in them and not to feel that you have to cut off any part of your emotions in order to be a good person. We're always asking ourselves, am I a good person? And for me to be a good person, I have to deny so much of myself. What if you don't have to? What if you really, really don't have to? Then... You could serve him with your with everything, with your light and with your darkness, with your ups and with your downs, with your alias and with your ridis, with, with, with everything, with totality. And then you could really be joyous, then you could really dance because you could be fully present. When you know how to cry, you also know how to dance. When you could feel pain, you can also feel joy. And you could feel the joy and the pain and the pain and the joy of Ha'inuhach. When the Balatanya came out of prison, a few years later, a little while later, he went to visit Rebaruchel Mezhebuzha, Rebaruchel of Mezhebuzh, the Rebbe Rebaruchel, grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. The Rebbe Rebaruchel asked him, what did you have to go through all of this? He asked him, you could have taken your hand, passed it over your forehead, Azoi, and sweetened all the judgments, and the edicts of Petersburg would have been burnt down. So the Balatanya told him, Hashem wanted to have a home in the lowest elements of reality. And to bring God into the world, you can't fly above the world. You have to go inside. I had to go inside and work the system. Ah. And he worked the system. And he was the biggest carbon, a victim. He thought they're going to drown him in the river. He started to cry. Imagine he's crying because he thought they're going to throw him into the river throw him into the Petersburg, the river right near the prison. He thought they're going to drown him. He was sobbing. He thought this is his end. He worked. It was in the system. When you're in the system, you're in a cell. You're trapped in a cell. They say it was once a chasana. It's a big chasana. Grandchild of the Badichev and the grandchild of the Balatanya. And Zlobin. Zlobin is Ukraine, halfway between Liadi and Berdichev. So the chuppah was Friday. And the door to the chuppah was very narrow. And the Badichev and the Balatanya were by the door. And the question is, who goes in first? So the Badichev was older. So he said, you go in first. He says, no, you go and you go. And as I back and forth, finally, the Badichev tells the Balatanya, let's walk through the wall. And he said, we don't go through the walls, let the door become wider. It's not an exchange of words. It's an exchange of, of, of paradigm in life. He told the Baruchel, you got to work the system not because you're a victim to the system, but because the ultimate purpose of creation was to reveal the light in every nuance and in every intricate detail of the world. So you have to go down, not because you're going to become a victim, because that's how you could transform. And if you're scared of it and that's why you stay above, you'll never be able to transform the world. And the ultimate kavana, to transform the landscape of planet Earth into a divine abode, won't be fulfilled. I want to bless all of you, and myself, and all of us, that whatever challenge and adversity and darkness you face at this night, at this time, we should be able to be empowered and be able to cultivate the vision and the perspective of a Yosef Hurad Mitzrayim. Yosef was taken down. And as he was taken down, he was ultimately ruling over it 
because together with him he took down the Shechina. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.